Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Pod Couch, where we talk about all things mental health. Today, I am so excited that I have Jack Bruskern. He's a high school senior. He's 17 years old, and he's already the founder of Detach. He has a mission to help other teens break free from digital dependency and addiction. He considers the impact that technology addiction has on his generation a social epidemic and wants to save his generation. Jack believes that he can help bridge the gap between parents and kids to develop healthy screen habits together, and he is here today to share his experiences and thoughts with us. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. I want to first tell people how we got connected. Mm -hmm. You uh, sent me an email and said, hey, I wonder if you had a few minutes. I'd like to ask you some questions about your thoughts on digital dependency or just anything screen time. Mm-hmm. And I responded, I think, pretty quickly to you. Yes, you and did. <laughs> I was like, no, no, come in, and I want to ask you questions, and I just want to have a conversation. Yeah, right? and I, I just have to tell you, uh, when you when you sent me that email, that was the first time someone had really um, responded to me and uh, invited me on something like this. And so I was, I was overjoyed beyond belief. So oh, thank you for having me. Of course. I'm thrilled to have you. To me, you know, I, I definitely do speak about this kind of stuff a lot. But I always want to make sure I'm in touch with what's really going on. So mm-hmm. um, starting from there, tell me about your story. How did you fo- found Detach and what does that really mean? And tell us like how you came to this. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course. So um, before high school, uh, I, I wasn't on social media as much. Didn't play a lot of video games, but I definitely played um, games on um, app games like Clash of Clans, uh, Clash Royale, things, things like that. And then transitioning into high school, I was on social media a lot more. Didn't do as much gaming. Um, but Instagram, I was on all the time. Uh, quickly got Snapchat, too. I was pretty typical, a pretty typical teenager in that sense. And how old were you? Um, that was freshman uh, into sophomore year. Okay. And then in the middle of sophomore year, uh, for my final ceramics project, I created a phone docking station for my family. And I was bringing that home, really proud of it, and I had the idea, whoa, what if this helps us be on our phones a little bit less? Um, and like, w- would that work? Well, would that not work? I, it, was, it was a big idea, though. I was very excited about it. Um, and so I started to think, um, think about how that would work in my family, and then think about, wait, well, if that did work for us, would that work for other people? And so my journey into uh, beginning thinking about uh, phone use and being on phones so often um that that's what really started it and so at that point did you think that either yourself Mm -hmm. or your siblings or your parents were on the phone too much i was definitely uh conscious around that time that i was on my phone too much um my one of my younger sisters did have a phone and um she like i i she wasn't as much of a concern for me i was more thinking about myself um and my parents were on it, of course, but not not twenty four seven. So it was something that we all kind of knew consciously. We should probably tone down a little bit, but it wasn't a, a glaring uh, frustration. Okay. So then, so you had the epiphany, and mm-hmm. then what happened? And then I spent I spent the next few months trying to figure out if I could build a product, if I could build this ceramics project into something real that I could mass produce, and if it worked, well, would it work for other people? And so I started taking surveys at farmers markets, just asking my friends' parents about it, just just saying like, "Hey, if there was something like this, what would what would you want it to be?" So like it was like a docking station where mm-hmm. you w- could charge your phone. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and the idea behind it would be 
Um, perhaps there's some sort of app or something that's keeping char uh, keeping track of all the time it's charging in there. Okay. And um, the more time you got, you'd have some reward at the end, whether it was a virtual reward or a parent programmed reward. Say, like if the family racked up a total of 50 hours in a week, that they could go to ice cream at the end of the week or some something along those lines. Oh, yeah, I like this. And and so I, I really I pushed that idea along quite a bit. Um, got in touch with some... Uh, some designers and things of that nature. Um, but then I started to realize that my niche was, was less so in the product design area, at least for now. It was more just in starting that conversation between kids and parents uh, and helping kids figure out how to come to better terms with their phones. And so, especially in the last few months, that's what I've been focusing on. Um, meeting with people uh, and discussing uh, discussing how phones affect kids for the better or for worse, talking to other kids, just, just with my friends, right? Right. Uh, and coming to better understand uh, how tools are useful and good, but at what limit are they not good? And how do we, how do we balance that? Mm -hmm. But the, the big problem, though, is that uh, phones and, and all these apps, all these platforms on these phones make their money and make their fame off people using them, right? It's not... Uh, they don't necessarily have the incentive to, for you to only use it just enough for your good. It's uh, they're beginning to program them so that, uh, or or they have programmed them very much so that you want to constantly be coming back and constantly checking back, and that's that's not <laughs> that's not very helpful for us kids, right? Um, if we're if we're constantly being hooked in by these things, um, and so so it's a bit of a struggle. It's a struggle for me too. I by no means have it figured out. Um, but what I've done most lately is talked about some things I've done that have worked, mm -hmm. um, some things I've learned from other people, from friends, from uh, doctors, uh, coaches. What do your friends think about this? And what do they think about you being so passionate about this? Because probably mm -hmm. some of them are addicted to their phones and always on their phones. Mm -hmm. So how does that work? Um, it doesn't It doesn't come up too often. But a lot of the times I do, they do just kind of give me a funny look like, huh, like, why are you doing this? You know, I know I probably shouldn't be on my phone all the time, but it's not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. um, and and even parents are like, well, uh, you know, we were, we called people all the time back in our day. This is just that new version of this. Mm -hmm. um, but, and, and, and yes, I see that to an extent. It's, it's new, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't, that doesn't quite justify it. And, and I've, I've talked to my friends about it uh, and tried to help them see that. But, um, it doesn't always go somewhere. <laughs> I, I uh, inst uh, recently uh, made an account for Detach on on Instagram, actually, mm -hmm. um, for for some uh, proactive digital well-being things uh, to my friends and other people. And one thing, one post I sent out, uh, someone commented like, "This is totally ridiculous. Like uh, this this amendment that's being supported is unconstitutional," and it got tons of likes and then my comment explaining why I didn't think so or why it was a good thing and you know didn't get as many and of course that's fine like that's going to come with it but I think um I don't know if it's self-denial but I think kids uh, aren't always quickly um ready to talk about it and think about it as much right so do you feel alone in this process um I wouldn't say alone mm -hmm. uh but as far as my pr uh my startup detach that's i've done that mostly alone mm -hmm. um and i've had a lot of help from people on, along the way um talking to people meeting with people um there's some really great writers who've written some incredible books 
um, that I've gotten to read, uh, and and they have been incredible and inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as what I've been doing, um, for the most part, I'm doing it alone. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So tell me about this law that they're trying to enact. And so you're going to be teaching me. I don't know about it, and I want to <laughs> hear about it. So um, I I recently went to Washington D.C. Um, for an for an internship for something else. But uh, while I was there, I got to meet with a senator uh, or one of the senator policy advisors. And before that, I had heard of some different acts, like the SMART Act um, by Senator Hawley um, and some other funding policy. Um, but but when I when I got to this meeting and began to understand it, uh, he really helped me see that the Senate really won't push too much um, concrete policy, uh, too much legislation for a health reason, whether it's hurting kids' health or uh, mental, mentally or physically. They won't really do that unless there's some very concrete evidence about about it. And so a lot of the bills and things that have been passed have either been warning signs just saying like, hey, Senate, let's, let's start looking at this, or they have been smaller bills just to start doing research. Um, but the big takeaway from that from from the Senate is that um, there's not going to be much legislation that's passed in this area for a while because they have to have some substantial research projects from the NIH or other huge researchers to come to almost definitive proof that it is causing substantial harm. And there's a lot of different aspects of technology in the legislation world, but if we're going to focus on health, it's definitely it's definitely going to take a while for anything to pass to really help kids grow toward a digital well-being and not not just be each kid against every technology company in the world. So do you think that screen use is like a public health issue, a mental health issue, even a physical health issue? I do, to an extent. I mean, uh, phones phones and technology are great for many ways. They they help us do many things. And I have a phone, right? It's it's my my solution is not to get rid of it. Um, but I think that um, it is such a powerful uh, technology, and it draws us in so well and so quickly um, that it can cause two main problems that that I think about. One is um, being on there or doing things on there too much that makes it bad in itself. Whether it be on being on Instagram too much and then worrying that causing too much anxiety um, or, um, or or other things like that, or it could be taking me away from real life, right? spending that time and not having that time to spend with friends or family or sleeping or doing homework, right? There's a list of things. And so th- those are the two things that I am most focused on right now um, is is helping people not spend too much time so that A, that time they're spending doesn't um, f- affect them negatively, but B, they have other time. They can use that time, their free time, to do other things. Mm-hmm. That balance. You're talking about mm-hmm. having that balance. Yeah. So what I would add to that mm-hmm. is, um, like you said, right now we don't have a ton of research. Mm-hmm. And what I say to people is, I'm personally not going to wait for 10 more years for mm-hmm. the research to say what's very, very clear right now. I, yes. Right? So I'm not waiting around for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there there are, though, sometimes surveys and, you know, 1,500 people, 2,000 people. Yes. And what they... Um, I think one of the most notable ones in the last year has been it does increase anxiety, but it also decreases feelings of Mm self-esteem, increases depression, Mm -hmm. and even increases suicidal thoughts. Yeah. So with the even heavier stuff of depression, suicidal thoughts, Mm -hmm. can you see that? Do you see that yourself? Um, I I guess I I could say yes to an extent. Um, 
I'm I don't I don't know the how great the scope is and I don't have lots of numbers. Um I I don't not maybe I don't think I could compare it as much to uh, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but I do notice that to some extent among my friends. But what I do know is that when I was on Instagram, um, I after, after being on it for a while, I'd never really feel very good about myself. Mm -hmm. um, I'd just scroll and, you know, get that pleasure high of just not having to think about anything, mm -hmm. but just going through pictures after pictures, right? Mm -hmm. um, no one really ever feels good after that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and I've talked to my friends about that, and that's one thing that, uh, almost everyone agrees on, right? Um, we all similarly never feel great after being on Instagram, um, but we are constantly drawn back to it, for for often no great reason, um, and and I think that I think the anxiety stems from different uh, different practices that people uh, do when they're on there. So, by example. Um, well, let's let's just say let's just use Instagram. So if I'm scrolling through Instagram, I'm looking through all these pictures of other kids doing great things, or just a little snapshot of a moment. Uh, it could be a fabricated moment um, of just this one great-looking thing. And I'm over here. I'm just scrolling and not doing much, and I'm seeing oh, they're having fun out there. So I guess there's that element of FOMO, that mm -hmm. fear of missing out. Right. Um. But, but that also incentivizes. In incentivizes people to make their profiles look as best as possible, right? Because it's it's um, <laughs> it's going to go out to everyone, right? Everyone's going to see it, and they're going to look at you a little bit differently after that. All 500 of your followers, right? <laughs> and so you want. So for me, when I was posting pictures more often and not being as conscious of it, I just I'd have to make sure, like, wow, this needs to look as best as I can make it. And then as that begins to accumulate, you know, if we take these tiny little snapshots uh, of the best things ever. Um, and edit that up to just look a little bit better, that doesn't really portray myself real, or in, in a real authentic way. Um, and so not only am I seeing other people portraying themselves as slightly better versions or idealized versions of themselves, I begin doing that myself. So that begins to make me feel like, oh, I need to live up to this mm -hmm. new person myself. Um, and also I'm competing against all these people who are just insane. They're... I they're incredible because it's their idealized personas. Absolutely. I think we see that reflected in that, you know, there's, it, this is like a real reports and numbers in terms of how many people have died taking selfies at national parks in insane places. Yes. Yeah. Right. This is like a real report that came out this summer mm -hmm. that we are seeing this all of a sudden that park rangers and places like that are posting signs you know, be careful, like mm -hmm. stand here to take a picture, not the edge and then fall off, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And so, yes, people are going to great lengths to show their highlights. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that it's interesting that you keep using Instagram as the example, because when they do surveys, um, they put, you know, they'll compare like Snapchat and Instagram, Facebook, mm -hmm. these different social platforms. Mm -hmm. And Instagram is by far the one that has the worst mental health results. Mm -hmm. And it is because it's all visual and it's mostly yourself. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. Yeah. It's, um, I've, I've thought about Instagram quite a bit re recently. I wrote a blog post on that and how it's affecting us and from my experience. Mm -hmm. And so I guess that's, that might be why I'm coming back to it. I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Yeah. But I, I agree that it's, it's um, the, the selfies over cliff edges type thing mm -hmm. is, is, is a little scary. 
because it to me what it says to me is that people are um they're they're sacrificing reality they're risking what is real and you know life they're risking life for a picture that people will see and think wow you're really cool Mm -hmm. and um and that's that's really not what what's most special about humans you know it's it's this like real authentic interaction um and we need to stay with that and not let that go for um less authentic just um picture sharing and and idealized versions of ourselves right do you think it's fair that um we are we call your generation iGen mm-hmm. also Gen Z but yes. let's say we go with iGen yes um you only know technology you do not know life without a smartphone mm-hmm. that's what actually <laughs> characterizes your generation you were born into a time where you don't know anything but a smartphone yep and so um you talk about the need for belonging and connection right mm-hmm. and intuitively i think initially you'd think wow you have a smartphone now you can stay connected with the most important people in your life. Mm-hmm. So talk to me how you, what you think about smartphone use and whether it really connects human beings. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is this is another very uh, interesting thing for me to think about and uh, talk about. The um, the one thing I think social media does really well is it does qual- uh, quantity very well, right? I can have this many friends and constantly be connecting with more. Just just hit friends, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or message, right? It's it's very easy. But one thing it takes away is that quality aspect, that authentic relationship, that real connection. Um, and and that's and, and and the problem with that is because um, some of these companies are some of these technology companies and platforms and apps are um, programming these um, platforms in ways to get us to really feel like we're almost to that connection, right? Um, it's it's programming us to feel um, pleasurable aspects instead of, or uh, pleasurable feelings instead of feelings of happiness, which is a very big difference, even though they often feel the same. Uh, pleasure, pl- pleasurable uh, feelings of like, oh my gosh, I just got a like, or oh, someone commented. Um, things of that nature, there's never quite enough, right? Um, and they're never, they're never real. They're just little dopamine releases in our brain. Um, and, and while they feel great at the time, they're never enough. We always need more and more and more. And that becomes the focus. Instead of some sort of connection, it's, it's that dopamine release. Um, and so these, uh, these apps are scary in that way because it always gets us to try to um, follow it as if that's, that's what will make us happy, right? These deep connections, but really it's, it's very different. Um, and so not just not being that type of connection it's also taking away from the times that we are able to make those connections right going to the park to play with my friends you know throw the football around or whatever it is um, having a phone call I, I think phone calls are great I try to <laughs> when I can I'll try to talk on the phone instead of texting do you actually talk on the phone I do to friends to friends wow not all the time <laughs> I definitely text quite a bit too mm-hmm. but especially if I'm trying to catch up with someone I haven't seen in a while I'll I'll try my best to just talk on the phone because then I can really connect with their humanity, right? It's not just their edited version of their, themselves typing or texting that they can go back and edit, um, but I can hear their voice. I can connect with them on, on a greater, on a greater, more authentic level uh, and really, and, and not just be limited to the mold uh, of, a, of texting or something of that nature. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that um, 
it's fair to say your generation's characterized as one that doesn't talk on the phone very often or when they say like for me in my private practice when I'm talking mm -hmm. to a teen they'll say and then I was talking to him and you know maybe then he and he broke up with me and I really say like what well, do you mean like real talking or do you mean texting and they're like texting yeah I mean they answer me like duh mm -hmm. right and so yeah. that's the norm is <laughs> do you find that to be the norm for your cohort as well when you say you're talking you're actually texting and speaking mm -hmm. is is more rare Yes, uh, that's de that's definitely the norm as far as my experience. Right, and you're sometimes in circles mm -hmm. texting each other. Oh, yes, that's that's one thing that that really frustrates me. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's one thing that's really fueled me with detach is mm -hmm. being with friends and being with people um, or, or just other peers that I'm trying to get to know better or whatever it is, right? And then they take out their phone, right? And and as I thought about this too, I realized well I was also guilty of that before I started thinking about it a lot more, right? I'm I'm definitely still fall into that sometimes, but always having the phone as an easy out and always um, always being able to talk through that filtered version of yourself, um, it really well, well, it does a lot of things. But one thing it it keeps me from growing as a person and and like messing up, having a conversation and um, saying something wrong, you know, or um, or hearing them and learning to listen to them. Um, or connecting them with like who they really are, mm -hmm. um, it it takes away from that, and so it's it's I really don't know what's gonna happen because I well conversations won't go away. It's so much easier to just opt out for something that's easier than a conversation. So what's your end what's your end game with detach? Where do you want this to go? One thing, I I really don't know. I don't have a master plan, <laughs> but but the overall goal is to help other kids like me come to a digital well-being, a balance between using a phone as a tool, but not so much that it's using you for, um, against, against your good or the good of others. And what are some of your ideas to make that happen? So some things I've done recently that have made, made it a little bit easier is, um, by reconfiguring my phone to work for me instead of against me. And why, what I mean by that is taking away the, um, the distracting or constantly pulling uh, notification and things on my phone that make me want to use it so that when I do get out my phone or when I am using it, it's easier to just use it as a tool. And so one thing, one thing I've done under that category is I've turned off all the notifications on my phone and which isn't that hard to do, right? It's not, um, telling myself, okay, I'm only going to spend 30 minutes on Instagram. It's just saying, okay, I'm not going to turn on Instagram or I'm going to turn off Instagram notifications. Um, and, and, uh, and then other things such as putting apps deep in folders. If I know I'm always going to want to be on Instagram every time my phone's out and I get back to the home, home screen, instead of putting it right there on my home screen, I'll put it uh, on the second screen back in a folder so that instead of just clicking on it without really thinking, I have to think, okay, I'm going to get on Instagram and I have to type it in really quickly. Mm -hmm. And in that split second, I can go from not thinking about something and just sliding into it into thinking consciously, making a rational decision. That's what I want to do. And it takes it from a reaction, seeing the Instagram and, and just hitting it because there's nothing better to do, to an action of, okay, I don't know what to do. What should I do? Mm -hmm. And th that's probably been the biggest thing for me, taking it off the off the main screen. And so I, so I get to choose, okay, how do I use this time? Um, but but I'd say the hardest thing, and, and maybe one of the best things I've done is changing my phone to grayscale. And with grayscale, 
it, it takes off all the color. It's just black and white. I've never even heard of this before. It is. It's not very cool to look at. <laughs> the first couple of days, it's it doesn't. The foam just looks so, meh. It, it's just it's just there. It's nothing special. But once I got used to it, um, and then turned it back to color, it was all of a sudden my eyes were whoa. I, I was just pulled like, wow, color. You know, the Instagram logo's very bright right uh, being on Instagram the colors or the pictures are all very colorful there's um, the the heart will pop up if I have a friend's uh, a friend notification or something like that and how do you do that on your phone let's say because mostly parents are gonna be listening to this yes <laughs> like, how, well, how do you do that yes um, well it's I'm, I'm not totally sure on Android but on iPhone mm-hmm. uh, you go you go into settings and I believe it's under general Mm. I, I wrote this out on a blog post. I can't quite remember. Okay, but people can go. Where can they find? Oh yes. Where um, can they find it? So I wrote a blog post on this guiding th- you, uh, guiding parents and kids through all the steps to reconfigure their phone. Uh, it's on my website, it's, which is www.detachnow.com. Uh, awesome. And, and I've been reading through some of your blog posts, and I find right. <laughs> them very, very interesting. So mm-hmm. for the parents that are listening to this right now, you can go on detachnow. Is it .com or .org? .com. .com. And get the wisdom from you, which is where I want to be getting it from. I mean, mm-hmm. I want to know what I know what I think, what my experience has been, but you hold the wisdom and the inspiration, <laughs> which is what is inspiring to me, that you want to change things. Mm-hmm. So... Anything else you think is like, oh my gosh, you're talking probably mainly to parents. Mm-hmm. Anything else you think is important, what would be like one more highlight you'd want parents to know about like teens and digital kind of addiction or just screen time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. So uh, there's one thing that really comes to mind for me. Um, I've been I've been thinking a lot lately on how parents can best talk to their kids and work with their kids toward this digital well-being mm-hmm. um, and help, help guide them. Mm-hmm. And the one... The one big thing that's that seems to be the the biggest game changer is really working with your kids and talking to them through the process, um, bringing it from a dictatorship to doing this thing together, mm-hmm. right? And what this includes is uh, not just saying, all right, you can only be on your phone X amount of time and you can't be on your phone at the dinner table or in bed, right? Instead of just saying that, saying, you know what, like, let's do this together. Um, let's Let's not... Let's uh, do a, a phone contract, say, uh, and uh, you, Johnny, and I, and your dad are going to sign it, and we're not going to have our phones at the dinner table, and here's why. Um, or you could do something where, let's say, you want to have your child not be on the phone for more than two hours a day. You could have them, instead of just saying, all right, two hours of the day, that's it, you could help them decide, all right, do you want to do two hours per day or 14 hours per week? And then that brings them into the decision-making process of, um, and and helps them think like, oh, okay, you know, I, I get some skin in this. Um, I'm not just being talked down to. I can, um, I'm I'm part of this, and let's do this together. And that brings it from an emotional like, you do this, that's it, um, where they wouldn't think about it as rationally. That brings it more into a rational conversation. Yeah. Where they can really talk and work together and be like, all right, let's do this. You, they can really connect with a why, uh, and and understand like, oh, you know what. It's probably a good idea. Like, uh, let's let's do this together. Yeah, I love that. I and I talk to parents about doing that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I just me. realized that 
you know, I haven't even really, I don't have any kids with phones yet, but I do have a kid who just got a Chromebook for the first time. <laughs> and I probably should have a contract, right? So yeah. the other night at <laughs> nine at night, she said, um, you know, can, can I like, I forgot what it was, you know, can I watch <laughs> some Animal Planet on, on YouTube in bed? <laughs> and I was like, no. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm glad she asked me. Yes. But you're right. I teach this Mm -hmm. and I still need this reminder that I need to do it with my own kid because now that's a Chromebook. It can go wherever she wants and she's Mm -hmm. just entering the digital kind of age. And so Mm -hmm. she's looking for boundaries. Mm -hmm. And even myself, who talks about this all the time, Mm -hmm. I don't even have it down the way I should. So thank you. I think we're all working on it. (laughs) This is a work in progress, but thank you. This last couple of minutes have been these real golden nuggets. Mm -hmm. I love hearing from you. Um, Again, I got the pleasure today of talking with Jack Bruskern, who is the founder of Detach Now, and you can find him and all of his great blog posts and information on detachnow.com. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Bye-bye.